Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Rotari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who is currently played by a man who is much more handsome than he was in real life. Well, is in real life, I guess. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and if only, right? Like, what? This uh, is this one's I... intense, man. Like, they're like in all that documentary stuff. They're like, he's a playboy. Although it drove the women wild, and then you like, and you see like. Uh, who's the actor? I forget the name of the actor. Um, shoot, I, my brain, brain is blanking. Uh, Edgar Ramirez, right? The guy who plays Carlos. Yeah, yes, he's a very Ramirez. handsome man. And then you see Carlos in real life, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> these are not these are not the same. These are one of these men is extremely handsome. One of these men is like, I think fine. I guess. I think in film you have to do use incredibly good looks as a stand-in sometimes for, for natural charisma. Yeah, that, yeah certainly he that, must have had a lot of natural charisma. But like when you look at pictures of him, you're like, man, this doofus. This doofus here? Right, right. This guy? This guy. <laughs> that is uh, one of my favorite things. Obviously, all of the bonus material we watch for this week, which is all of just four of the of the release, we'll get into it. Uh, but there's one that's an interview with uh, with Anji, um, with Klein, uh, and he's he's obviously got a lot of reason twenty years on to to have the opinions he has about Carlos and the framing presented in this documentary. That's an interview with him, but uh, when he talks about uh, Carlos's uh, preening. This guy obviously had a lot of charisma. Yeah, but, but like uh, for all appearances, he was just a dude, just like a real just like a dude, maybe even slightly below par dude. dude. Like he's just yeah, like nobody, yeah. nobody would give this guy a second look. And like you know, it's yeah, it's got to be natural. Which I mean, charisma. is how yeah. well, yeah, actually makes him perfect for what he decided to do with his life, right? Can you imagine an act, an international terrorist who is actually as beautiful as Edgar Ramirez is? Right, like I just, just stopped at just every being border check with people yeah, every time you tried yeah, to do exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Movies swapping in, like, well, it's hard to get charisma across with an with a yeah. with a mediocre looking person. So we'll just get the most handsome man we can find. Before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. We do a non-criterion film each month. Our supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch. Uh, and then we do, you know, we do an episode like we normally would, uh, except about a film that's not in the Criterion collection yet. Uh, because at least two of the films we've it's only a matter so far, of time were later added to the Criterion Collection. I'm sure. I'm sure Blood Beat will be in there in like within a, within the next decade. The ever approaching Criterion Criterion box set containing the entire set of Critters movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I like that. That's good. It's uh, the cri- it's always, the Criterion. It's always a week away from being. Yeah. yeah, always a week away from being announced. 
Um, but but yeah, we have a lot of fun uh, watching good, a good mix of movies over there. Uh, very often, it ends up being a movie either uh, usually me, but occasionally Pat wants the other one of us to watch. Right, it, it happens. <laughs> and then, occasionally, and then we I have to force something on you, but yeah, yeah. Then we have to manufacture a list that's going to uh, convince everyone to vote for the movie that secretly is the one we all <laughs> we want to watch anyway. Right. Uh, and that the hardest part of that is, is works, writing this doesn't is, always work. Yeah, the hardest part of that is writing the subliminal messages yeah. that tell everybody which one right. to vote for. That's usually the hard part. Um, yeah. Um, I usually solve that problem by just making a list that's all movies I want to watch. So. Yeah, that, well, that works too. Or oh, it works and, and we're always a bit of gun shy about like making the list that's the one we want to watch and then a bunch of trash because like never know something bad could happen. You never know what trash people are gonna gonna connect with and decide we have to watch. Uh, it's a real risk. Anyway, um, that's all the dollar a month. Uh, there's over seventy episodes over there in the back catalog, and your dollar gets you access to those too. Get you access to the vote, etc. A little bit above that for people who can afford it and help keep us going, help us pay those server bills at $5 a month. We'd like to thank those folks on air. And thank you so much to our $5 supporters, Stephen Goldmeyer, Eric Coronado, Chris Otto, Andrew, and Andrew Jarrett. Thank you. Uh, Chris Otto and Andrew Jarrett. Um, very grateful to all of our $5 supporters. A bit above that, we do something pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little personalized thank you note, and send it off to our $10 and above supporters. I'd also like to thank those folks on air, and thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, Jason Westaver, Nina Bojnak, Tracy McGrath, and Patrick Yako, our $10 and above supporters. Thank if you. you want to check out those postcards without committing to that $10 mark, head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there. Our store will pop up, and you can buy past postcards. Mayamas postcards as greeting cards, as uh, stickers, as magnets, some of them, as buttons, as some of them, uh, as phone cases, a couple of them. I'm slowly expanding what uh, what is on the list. Yeah, I mean, I someday we'll get some of my dreams. Shower curtains, as we've talked about. Bath mats. I, I've got a real, yeah. real bathroom fixation with my, with my artwork, and I don't know why. You sure do. I feel you like sure that's. Do. I feel like that's the um, place where you encounter the most like large swaths of cloth. A bedspread would be nice. Yeah. Um, Maybe some sort of like toilet insert. Oh yeah. Well, actually, like, if uh, they make those, remember, like I don't think these exist anymore. But like for some reason, when I was in like high school, probably my grandmother got a bunch of like clearly by machine embroidered toilet paper rolls with various sports oh, yeah. teams on them. I don't know if those still exist. Thank you so much to everybody who has purchased anything off our Redbubble over the years. Thank you to everybody who supported us on our Patreon, and thank you for listening. Pat, this week we are starting uh, three episodes dedicated to a miniseries because we did not want to talk about a single film version of this miniseries. To be fair, it is uh, an actual miniseries. As far as I can tell, it is originally conceived of as a miniseries on French television. Right, right, right. It has episode Uh, breaks and everything. Yeah, uh, 339 minutes in total on the Criterion version. Uh, there is, there, there are full-length feature cut versions of this that exist. It's Carlos, uh, also known as Carlos Jackal, from 2010. Uh, 
directed by Oliver Isaias, and it is our second Isaias work. Uh, we watched uh, his 2008 film, uh, Summer Hours, uh, I think last year. Um, Part of the the long string of um, 2008 family dramas yes. that we that we watched. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, they, as far as I can tell, Criterion bought all of them. Just every just every 2008 family anywhere. drama from anywhere that yeah. wasn't like, yeah, it's like, oh, you you were in Cannes that Cannes that year. Buy it. We're, we want the rights. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the film does exist as. Uh, Various feature lengths. I don't. I have no notes on what's edited from one to another. Uh, like I said, our complete set with all three films, Criterion counts out at three hundred thirty-nine minutes. Uh, there is apparently a feature-length version that is three hundred nineteen minutes. Um, there is a German cinema-released version that is all three films edited into a single 187-minute film. Uh-huh. Um, so losing nearly two hours. Uh, Jeez. Well, a little over two hours, in fact. Um, there is a U.S. video-on-demand version, according to Wikipedia, uh-huh. uh, that is only 166 minutes long. Whoa. Okay. So another like another like 21 minutes shorter. Yeah. They're pretty massive cuts. Yeah. So that, yeah, that is a huge cut. Um, Yeah. But Criterion presents us uh, three films on three discs. So we are treating it as three films and going to dedicate a single episode to each. Right. And and again, seemingly the the way that it was originally shown on French television, as far as I can tell. Right. 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 The way it was sort of quote unquote intended to be seen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oddly enough, because it it's a, the the awards the awards arena in film is very weird sometimes, uh, because this doesn't seem to have been nominated for an Academy Award at all, which probably means that the Academy Awards considered it a television work. Yes, yeah, seemingly, but it won a Golden Globe for best miniseries or made for made for television picture um but also it won uh film awards uh, it won the Los Angeles Film Critics Association best foreign language film uh it may, won uh best director from the National uh, uh, Society of Film Critics uh New York Film Critics Circle uh gave it best foreign language etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, so it won it won film awards, it won television awards. Uh, it is uh, a made for television film, but it is made for television film by a real film director. Uh, and of course, you know we've experienced that even before in the Criterion Collection. About a third of the Bergmans we've seen were ultimately <laughs> made for television films later in his career. Right? right. Uh, basically, everything everything post nineteen sixty seven or so for Bergman was was originally released for television. Right. Um, that is like, I pick that date completely out of the air. Please do not send me emails about whether or not that <laughs> yeah. date is right. But <laughs> We could look it up if we wanted to. We're uh, not going to. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So, you know, Asayas had a pretty solid career prior to this. You know, he'd been making films for well over a decade. Uh, Irma Vep came out in 96, and that's not even his first film. Um Summer Hours had just been released. 
uh, he had taken sort of a film break uh, after Summer Hours. Uh, he did a couple of television works um, in 2007 uh, and then had uh, a couple of documentaries, uh, it looks like. Um, and then Carlos is 2010. And it seems like he also spent a heck of a lot of time uh, researching for Carlos. Yeah, I mean, as well. you, and you can kind of, you can feel that, right? Like, I mean, when it comes down to like the content we've seen so far, it does feel very, yeah. um, does feel very researched, right? Um, right. W- within the limits of what's capable of being done, right? Like, uh, the issue is that that's always going to be a kind of um, a little bit difficult. So this is one of those topics where, like, well, I mean, like, the it starts off with a with a statement of like straight up that is. Uh, like this is a fictionalization, straight up. Like we are making shit up sometimes because, or actually quite often, seemingly because details are scarce. Right. Details are scarce. Uh, also, they're covering their butts too. Because even even where uh, a matter of public record has figured out one hundred percent on details, uh, actual truth and public record are never the same thing. Uh-huh. Well, and absolutely, and, and when you and when you consider the like, the way that these sorts of things are talked about and and dealt with, right? Like, there's a lot of political ideology that goes into like everything about it, right? Like, yeah. like who gets blamed for what? Like how things are assigned? Like the way the government will often just choose to like, well, this is the person we've chosen to blame for this thing, right? No questions asked, right? Like for we're instance, just doing it within within the narrative of episode one the movie shows us Carlos committing the attack on the, uh, on the drugstore, for instance. Right. Uh, a thing that is he, not known. Where he tosses right? the like, mom is, into the drugstore. Is... A thing, a thing that the movie itself tells us is unknown, uh, that is still unsolved as of 2010 when the movie comes out, but where all the peripheral material that we watched for this week says, uh, yeah, Carlos definitely did this. Right. Um, right. Uh, so, yeah, again, uh, actual provable history and public narrative are different. Right. Well, and bear in now, mind that, like, enough, you know, clearly, like, I mean, they've got they've got Carlos in jail. Right. Like they if they wanted right. to convict him for that, too, if they thought they could, they right. would. Clearly, none of all that they stuff would have amount. Exactly. Right. None of what yeah. all the things that that exist do not amount enough to, like throw another life sentence at him, which they don't seem to have, like, any qualms about doing, right? Like, he's got three. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, if they now, w- if they wanted, if they could, they they would have already done it, basically. You know, sort of stuff. They, uh... With, with regards to the drugstore public... Yeah, public says, uh, uh, particularly, um, according to Wikipedia's Carlos the Jackal page... Which reads like it is written by uh, someone antagonistic to Carlos. Not not that there is no such thing as uh, unbiased information. Right, right. Uh, and I don't need something. I don't need the Wikipedia about Carlos the Jackal 
I mean, the fact that it's called Carlos the Jackal already. Right. Yeah. It's a bit of a, it's already a bit of a, it's right? like, yeah, exactly. Like we're already into the fact that like, well, I mean, and it's, it, the page is littered with like citations yeah. needed and stuff. It's, it's, it's a rough page. Yeah. Like, well, cause it comes yeah. down to the fact that and, like, that's making a choice, right? Because like, like using his nom de guerre and as, as the title of the page rather than his real name yeah. and then putting the nom de guerre inside of it. Is a choice. Yeah. Is a is a real choice. Right, 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 right. And not only not just as nom de guerre, uh, it could just be called Carlos parenthesis international terrorist. Right, exactly. Or There's like a that. lot of choices that uh, have been made. This page does, regardless of your perspective on any of this. Like yeah. this is a page that like it's clearly in need of yeah. uh, in need of some some real uh, some real uh, oversight and yeah. uh, and and revision. In any case. Uh, according to the Wikipedia page, uh, he was eventually charged for the drugstore attack in October of 2014. Okay. So four years after the film came out. Um, it also says that he claimed responsibility for, uh, uh, for the attack, uh, in a 1979 interview with Awatan Al-Arabi, uh, the newspaper whose, uh, offices are eventually bombed, uh, <laughs> Later in our narrative, I think maybe not in the film, but is something that came up in in Carlos's life. Uh, eventually, those those newspaper offices are bombed in an attack attributed to Carlos and his people as well. Uh, but anyway, uh, so <laughs> Carlos didn't deny that the interview ever took place. <laughs> what a guy that guy. Yeah. Uh, his trial uh, was ordered to proceed in May 2016, uh, and he was sentenced uh, for an additional life term, having been convicted of, of the attack in 2017. I, fe- I feel like we're already all over the place in this conversation. We I are. I, I would like to but, actually, uh, like, yeah. at some point, rewind to, like, the film and the, and the events and the discussion of the film itself, because, like, we're not, like... There's there's some interesting stuff in the documentary that we, one of the documentaries that we got, right, but like right, right. it's all like the documentaries have really like obvious bents to them, like really obvious biases yes. and stuff, yeah, um, right. that are pretty pretty aggressive, uh, and actually portray a really interesting and fascinating phenomenon in um in like modern Western media that I think is worth discussing and something I would like to discuss today, uh, but we probably need to like go into the film a bit before we do that, so. Yeah, probably. Okay, so back to the film. All right. Aseas was apparently originally supposed to make a 90-minute movie about Carlos's arrest in Sudan. The the, the the most boring version of that film you could ever imagine. Yeah, so we, we right. snuck a bunch of operatives into the Sudan and did some real illegal shit and then took him out and right. arrested. Like, like, that, to me, took honestly, like, of him dancing. that stuff, like, really, like... It's it's a weird thing in me that exists, but that shit yeah. bothers me like a lot. Like the like yeah. like those extrajudicial things that we like that are just accepted as like part and parcel of modern like neoliberal order is that like, oh well, it's okay because we're the good guys for us to like commit crimes. Right. Like as much as we want. Right. Right. Like like I don't want. I'm not trying to defend Carlos. Okay, let's be very clear. We need to be very clear from the beginning that like, I don't truck with the idea of terrorism <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. But like, 
There's the idea that, like, when they want to, they can just break any law they want to accomplish the goal that they have decided is just is, like, a really bothersome yeah. concept in, in, in the sort of neoliberal hegemony that, like, annoys the shit out of me. Like, it just does. Right. I find interesting with this, I want to sort of base establish, it's talking about this as a criterion release. Yeah. Um, occasionally, criterion gives us historical dramas, right? Right. Um, that are controversial at best. Yeah. When I think of this, I think specifically Costa Gavras's Missing or Z. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Both those are two ones. of the like, sort of like... Right. Real homework ones. I think it's a thing that they've done more yeah. in recent times than in earlier. Because they've gotten further right. and further away from like that first few hundred. That's a thing we've encountered more. Um, yeah. the, both of the, both movies um, we really like liked a lot. Uh, right. And and with Missing in Z, Criterion does something that they're sort of attempting to do here. In that they provide us with a whole bunch of peripheral historical contextual information as part of the bonus materials. Right. Now, with Missing, it was, like, actually declassified CIA files. Right. Just just go read these, guys. Yeah, I mean, The Missing That'll The Missing great. was a really fascinating one because The Missing, like... Yeah. The Missing had... Obviously, these are all going to have political biases and stuff like that, but The Missing was very... Um, the Missing was one that I found really pretty enjoyable, actually. It, it really dug into the idea that, like, yeah, this is this all cover-up. This is all, it, it, was, it was... It was a... A really hard to watch movie because of the topic and how it, like upsetting it is, but nonetheless, a really engaging sort of package that they made. And then there's also maybe closer to the realm of Carlos is uh, Steven Soderbergh's Che that we watched just last right. Year. Yeah, yeah. Che uh, would probably yeah be closer to this. Yeah, this sort of like yeah. And with with Che. A whole bunch of our chase sort of closer to this in in content and bonus material too, because we get pretty much a fifty fifty split between behind the scenes how we made the movie stuff and historical information stuff. But even with that, with the chase stuff, I feel like. I feel like there's so much more of an inherent bias to what we're seeing in the bonus features. Oh, I I agree completely. We, that is a thing that I want that I desperately want to engage with. Is like, yeah. the the difference is is that like with something like Che, you can't really get away with going this hard in one direction because yeah, like the Che is generally speaking among a pretty wide swath of even kind of people in the kind of wishy-washy liberal area, a pretty beloved figure. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you go too far in one direction, you're going to create a thing that, like, nobody's going to want to buy, right? Because, oh, yeah, the bonus materials on this are garbage kind of thing, right? Whereas Carlos is kind of, broadly speaking, understood as a purely negative force. You know what I mean? Like... And we're gonna. Yeah. I, that is a thing I want to right. engage with. Is like a, an honest conversation about this person. Oh yeah. 
Um, yeah. And like, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the movie handles him because like, I don't know how far the movie series goes in his life. Is it just the OPEC yeah. thing or does it go beyond the OPEC? I don't have a, a full concept of the scope of this miniseries right now. And presumably neither of the people who is, watched this the first time. Like, you know, I mean, like when it came on right, French right, TV, right, right. you didn't know, like, was this going to go until he's in his like fucking 60s or 50s right. or whatever dancing in fucking Sudan? Like, I don't know. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. The other the other thing about Che is that we got a sense from watching it that Soderbergh and the others involved had a sort of left liberal uh, admiration of Che. Right. But there was stuff in the movies that very much left us feeling like they were movies that wanted to praise Che while denigrating the Castros. Absolutely. That possible. was definitely a thing we right. talked about a lot. And like, as a result, you got this kind of like, well, Che is the pure embodied spirit of the revolution and Castro is just a a grifter. Like that was, you know, like that's the, and, and like in many ways that toes the sort of liberal leaning party line of, of, of sort of, again, the modern sort of political hegemony, right? Like, you're allowed to like Che, but you're not allowed to like Castro. But you're allowed to like anybody after they're dead. This is also... Especially after we kill them. Yeah, that's so. also true. But, like, you know, I mean, but, like, I don't... You know what I mean, though, right? Like, there's a, that's a hard... That's a line you're right. not allowed to cross. And, like, the movie made it very clear that that's... It, it towed Absolutely. that party line, right? You're allowed to, like... You're allowed to wear a Che One shirt. Of- you're not allowed to wear a Castro shirt. In about 10 years, right, you'll be allowed to right. wear a Castro shirt. I guess all that to say is that Criterion's relationship to uh, actual political left-leaning stuff is fascinating. Yeah, I because, mean, I think Criterion you know, in many ways toes that same party line, right? Like, in many ways, right? Right. It also can't... Right. It can't... We, it's, not, it's not going to, like, for example, avoid showing films by known fascists, right? Like, it's not a thing it's going to do, right? Right. If it's a famous film... It's going to be in the Criterion right. Collection, right? If it, even if it's not a famous film. Even if it's film. not a famous film. If it's just like somebody's weird pet project, it'll be in the Criterion Collection. Right, right, right. Some right. some science fiction yeah. movie that one of the Criterion dudes saw on TV when he was a kid uh, will be in the Criterion Collection for some fucking reason. Oh, well, I mean, specifically, like, there is still <laughs> no... No reason Criterion ever needed to show us a, a full, dedicated spine number for Mishima's patriotism. That's just insane. No, absolutely. That that. Well, I'm, so, I'm also thinking like, of like, remember the remember that weird science fiction that B like B level science fiction movie we oh, watched? Oh yeah, yeah. That, like, I know what you're talking. That about. The explanation yeah, was like they, we got an explanation for why it was in the Criterion Collection. It was just basically like. Somebody had saw the, it and like right. liked it a lot and like really yeah. had an impact on the guy personally. in charge of making decisions. Yeah, it's like yeah. okay, the guy this in is charge what of making decisions yeah. at that moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so like, yeah, we get reactionary stuff, we get right wing stuff, we get some more left wing stuff. Some, you know, the certainly the, uh, you know, uh, the Andre Wajah stuff is is amazing and 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 much further. Uh, so here's than, but here's the okay. So God, we're gonna have a really uh, this is gonna be a very strange conversation. Yeah. We will not talk about this fucking movie at all. Um, we're gonna get there. Well, we're no, because when the you movie. talk about Wajah, but Wajah fits into a sort of Che and Soon Castro narrative in the sense that like anything from former Soviet bloc 
stuff is mm-hmm. essentially conceptualized as depoliticized in many ways, right? Like, it, yeah, I, you know what I, I mean. Like, no matter what its revolutionary content, it's like, oh, well, this is just a film from that failed experiment in socialism, right? Like, right. it it's not a real thing anymore. It's like, no matter how intense the political content of those works. They're considered non-threatening because, oh, well, we won that war. That's over. Right. Right. And I think that's even more true of the Dujan Makavejev, uh, uh sweet movie, NWR, Mysteries of the Organism, where Absolutely. they yeah, are 100%. very political works where they are produced, but they're presented to us, decontextualized by Criterion, as just weird movies. Right. And I and right. I kind of think of that as sort um, of a as a as a sort of um as a sort of outcropping of what I kind of think of as the Jonathan Swift phenomenon, like no matter how intense your po- like yeah. political work, like somebody will just turn it into a children's story. Like that's just what they'll do. Right, um, right, right. And right, like right, right, that's right. what yeah. happens with all of these, right? It's like, oh well, that that shit from the former Soviet bloc, like that's just kids' shit. Like and like some of it can't be ignored, like in many ways on an artistic level. So they have to deal with it, right? Like Eisenstein has to be dealt with, right? On an artistic level, you can't right. ignore Eisenstein. It's impossible, but you can right. depoliticize it completely, right? You can just say, "Ah, uh, all that matters here is the art." Please ignore all the political content, right? Right. Which is, you know, just just even recently, we got mad at uh, uh, certain elements of the French New Wave for trying to do that. For, for pretending that there is no political element to what they themselves are doing. Right, yes. Uh, I mean, you know. yeah, never mind, like, the, artist, uh, the artists themselves being like, oh, I have no political bin. I have no political bias. Nothing. Right. Uh, right. But, yeah, like, yeah. it's it seems worse when it's done to somebody else's work. Like, it, it's like, oh, absolutely. it's gross. It, it bothers me every time it happens. And we, we experience it constantly. The net result, though, is if you are engaged with the idea that this is political content, like, political work, then, then like, at least somebody made it so you could watch it. Like that's, yeah. It's just that, like it's not presented to you in a way where you're like, you know, presumably those Eisenstein movies and other things like that, the Wadja films could have more bonus features that engage with the political content of the films, right? And they don't very much yeah. on purpose because that's not what Criterion's really presenting you. Criterion's presenting yeah. you a painting, not the political content of the painting, kind of thing. One of the essays for the Criterion release is written by uh, Griel Marcos, or Griel Marcus. Um, it's called Carlos, What the Film Wanted, and it is, I, as a writer, uh-huh. I really hate always the framing of an artistic work as having a life of its own. Right. That that the creator, yeah, the creator yeah. of the work is is somehow a slave to the characters or a slave to the narrative. Right. It's like no, you're making active choices. You're always right. making yeah, active you choices. You are the artist, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh. But but it's essentially an essay length about about how. Uh. Aseas and um. All the principal actors, Ramirez, um. Nora von Wattstaten, who plays uh, Magdalene Kopp, who I don't think we've even met yet in the narrative. Uh, Christoph Bach, who plays Klein. Uh, Angie, um, who we have met uh, as of episode one. Um, and in real life. That they all got together. Yes, yes, we did also get a, a video of him in real life. Uh, they all sit down at the beginning of production 
and basically every single one of them says, I have no idea how to make this, how to play this character. And then uh, Olivia Sayas also says, oh, I'm so relieved to hear you say that because I have no idea how to shoot this movie. Um, uh, to me, that and, to me that strikes me as a very inauspicious start <laughs> like, to your yeah. to your film about this topic. Like, yeah, I, I don't know that. Well, you you know why you decided to make it SAS? Like, you co-wrote it. You didn't just have a script commissioned for you. You weren't. Right. This isn't a, a work for hire job. Uh, and even if it was, you would st- you would have still decided to do it, right? You have like, decided to do it, and you uh, and again, you even excuse me, even if you, yeah. even if it's work and, for hire, you wrote it, like you helped write it, like right, the thing yeah. you did, and and of course, of of course, one can one could certainly have no idea how you're going to do a thing, even if you really want to do it, right? But, but you presumably yeah. understand why uh, you want to do it. He says, with everyone understanding that no one really, no one else had any idea what they were doing, they all sort of relaxed about it. Um, Asayas uh, goes on to say that they didn't rehearse. Uh, they didn't rehearse for the camera or for the sound. Uh, uh, he would tell the cameraman, I think this is what the actors are about to do, uh, but also maybe they won't do that. Uh, <laughs> so be ready for anything. And they just sort of let it go. Uh and that's that's interesting because they're dealing with like the the historical veracity of this they are dealing with just an outline right so there's room for improvisation right in the in the particular yeah, we don't have that many details right you can like fill in the blanks right you've already you've already whether or not you really know it yet by when you're making it you've already decided well this is a fictionalized history so we're, whether yeah. we know it or not, we're going to slap a thing at the beginning that says, well, this is fictionalized, so you're not allowed to sue us. Right, right, right. right. Even if it were 100% as factually based, even if they were uh, you know, pulling like a uh, 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 Passion of Joan of Arc and literally every piece of dialogue was drawn from court statements, uh, they would still slap on the, please don't sue us, Carlos. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> message well, it's, it's one of those and, weird things. And right? he tried. Right. He did try. So You can make a thing that is so based on known and, and accepted facts that you don't have to do that. Like, it happens yeah. fairly often. Um, And, yeah, the person could try to sue, and it won't matter because it's all based on court documents and stuff like that. The issue here is is that, like, that's this isn't even that right like they had to slap that on there because they're right. working with sketches essentially of of real right, life right? Right, right, right half the people we're talking about are dead the resources of information are relatively unreliable um for various reasons uh so yeah yeah carlos tried to sue to get the film from being released uh which obviously did not happen there is uh i am not sure uh whether it was resolved carlos also offered offered a claim that he should be paid royalties for his life story um which there have been laws passed within the u.s i believe that say you can't profit off of off of a uh film adaptation of your criminal life if i remember correctly uh when you're when you're Dealing with uh, such an international um, – I mean, we're talking about a French film 
and a guy, a a Peruvian imprisoned in a Venezuela. He's, he's Venezuela. Uh, yeah, he's Venezuelan. Yes, I'm sorry. He not claims Peruvian. to be Peruvian uh, to try to dodge the the police, but yeah, he is Venezuelan. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. At one point, uh, but yeah. So it's all it's all very weird. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, none of our principal actors really could figure uh, until they got into it had figured out how they were going to do anything um and our director until they got into it hadn't really right <laughs> figured out how they were going to do anything um so the film it's interesting i'm i'm glad that i chose to have us watch the the disc four bonus stuff that we they did. lined up really well with because what we watched bit, yeah. Like as I contextual information. Yeah. They worked really well that way. Yeah. Yeah. One really interesting thing that that comes up from having done it the way we just did it is that there's a part in Carlos T- Terrace Without Borders, um the 1-hour French television. Uh, <laughs> the wor- somehow the watched. worst of the two things we watched, but yeah. 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 Uh well you didn't watch the third well, one. Well, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not probably yes. not going to. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I might get bored um, and do it. I don't know. We'll see. So, so on disc on disc on disc four, there are three things. There is Carlos Terrace without borders, a one hour French television thing. Um, there is uh, or German television. I can't remember now. It's ter- um, it's ger- it's um it's French because like yeah it they is they they dub yeah. over the the German speaking people with French. Yes, and it's annoying. Yes, yes, they do. Yeah. Uh, then there is a uh, about half hour archival interview with. Uh, Hans Joachim Klein, uh, aka Anji, um, uh, Carlos Associate, who is played by uh, uh, Christopher Bach in the film. Um, and then the last one is Maison de France, which is a one hour and a, a one and a half hour feature length documentary on attack that is not covered in the movie uh, that I told Pat he did not have to watch. And I watched. Well, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't even got end up a, having access got to Got a little it annoyed since. with it. Yeah. I, yeah. I wish I could. So, I kind of uh, wish. I'm glad I didn't. You didn't because, like, I didn't yeah. have time. I finished this at midnight last right. night. All the all the bonus yeah. materials, but like, so, man, I also like being mad at things, though. So, yeah, tough. So there's tough there's call. a part in there's a part in Terrace Without Borders where uh, they talk to a female associate of Carlos, one of the other South American students he was involved with in Paris. Uh, and it's very clear that what she says is the heart of both the restaurant absolutely and the apartment conversations absolutely like that is well it's like word for word half those things are was, word for word right right was was the research that Asayas did was just finding that interview so it's actually interesting that what we are given from the Criterion Collection is maybe Asayas's research materials yes like the stuff he had access to seemingly uh, I, I, I do think i, I think that especially no. again with like uh what is his name um klein like joaquin klein i forget his only on joaquin yeah. klein also a bunch of the things he says clearly inform the way that like ramirez play like edgar ramirez right. plays carlos like right it's oh absolutely and like again not not as word for word because his interview doesn't i don't when is his interview from anyway do you know 
I think you wrote it on the documentary. I believe that television show is from 94 or 95. Yeah, okay. So we're talking at, seemingly at least 10 years prior The, the reason I ask that is because uh, um, it, 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 I wonder if it coincides with his arrest. Like, this guy, I mean, because uh, Han Joaquin Klein was already, had already been arrested at that point, maybe not. Yeah. I, I get confused about his life story too. Like his life story is very, um, yeah, confusing as well. Uh, but like, he basically like a lot of it obviously seems taken from that as well, right? Like, okay, this is some more f- source material that we use to inform the way we play characters, the way the story unfolds, the things that happen behind the scenes, that sort of stuff. Oh, he wasn't arrested until yeah. 1998. Um, that, yeah, because that interview, he's still on yeah. the run, right? Like, that interview is really a strange yeah. one. He's, like, doing it from hiding or something. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I, I was trying to figure I spent most of that interview trying to figure out whether or not his beard was fake. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. Uh, I mean, but anyway, yeah. It's worth. Hans Joaquin Klein is a really fascinating character because, bearing in mind, that the story he tells about him and his, his mother and father is not true. Right. Like, it's worth noting that his father was not a member of the SS. Like, that's not yeah. It's not a thing. It's not real. It all comes to, like, a pretty interesting film. Like, as a result, like, all those things do combine to a film that I found very engaging. But, right. like, obviously has problems with it, but is engaging. Um. Yeah. But, like, when you see, like, I, where, what the source materials are, you're like, oh, yeah, like, this is very, very limited. Yeah, it's very fictionalized, very, like, as they talked uh, about, very kind of yeah. up in the air, very, like, oh, it's a few people's perspectives on, on what happened and this person, right? Right. And I got to be honest, when I'm, when I'm dealing with historical uh, possibility... Like you know, I've I've mentioned before, I do on occasion uh, history tours here in Columbus, and and when I'm crafting what I'm going to say, and there's conflicting information, well, usually there's one source. Right. Uh, if I find a second source and it conflicts, the more interesting one is the one I choose to believe is true. Right, right, <laughs> and and, and uh, always, and again, right. you're making a movie, right? Like you, you're you've already decided right. it's fictionalized, so you don't have to be. You have to care to a certain extent, but you don't have to care that much. All that sort of miasma of of not very clear, not very reliable storytelling and stuff culminates, like I said, in an interesting film. Yeah, it's just absolutely. It, it, it's like well, you clearly had to build, like you had to like mold a story out of like not much, right? And so that that and right. the thing that I found fascinating that I wanted to kind of one of the things I wanted to get into is that. Because of the way the film is, and again, the part twos and part three might change the way this way I feel about this. Because the way we understand the grammar of film and the way things work in film, right? Mm-hmm. We have our leading man, the most handsome person on screen, is playing. Yes. In theory, as far as the whole world is concerned, like in the actual true story of Carlos, the bad guy, right? Right. But we have. An extremely charismatic man who is doing bad things, but is like always providing himself with justifications, and like also is um is charismatic, like is physically charismatic and 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 right. verbally charismatic on screen, 
And so because of the way films are crafted and the way we as an audience understand film, we end up being put in a situation where like, well, as far as the film is concerned, he's the good guy. Like he's the hero. Right. Yeah. Right. Maybe he's an antihero. Right. But the movie's not even really doing an awesome job of telling you he's an antihero. Right. Like he's well, he's not so, even an antihero. He's just supposed to be, as far as yeah. society is concerned, the bad guy. So far in episode one, we haven't seen the collateral damage. Right. That's like, true. We got to see Carlos toss the bomb into the drugstore, but we didn't see the dead women and children. Right. 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 Uh, you know. Well, and, and again, and that's the, the way movie. you craft, that's the way you tell stories and craft film when you want the hero to be able to do those things and have the audience not go, wait a minute, did he just kill yeah. a bunch of innocent people? Right. So, like, right. it's a very strange choice because clearly SAS and, the, and all the people involved are not trying to portray Carlos as a, like, a revolutionary hero. Right. But they're accidentally doing it. Well, Seemingly? I will say clearly the Criterion Collection is not trying to. No, the Criterion Collection is uh, very much going the. I don't, but I don't think SAS is is trying to do that either. Based, I don't think SAS things, is necessarily trying. to Based do it, on but. like other elements that are involved, I'm I suspect that like what they're actually setting us up for yeah. is like a dark turn later on, rather than just yeah. portraying this stuff as dark at the beginning. They want to like show right. him become what a thing we I want to talk about in a minute, but like um show when he loses his ideological footing or whatever kind of thing. Um, yeah. And becomes yeah. just a true terrorist, like a true like mercenary terrorist or something like that. I suspect, I'm not sure again yeah. where the film's going right now, but the Criterion Collection clearly wants to um, advance a, a very specific narrative. Um, and it's, and it's, it is yeah. the common narrative about Carlos that is widespread, which is that, right. And I find this really fascinating, and this is the thing I've been wanting to talk about basically since the beginning, which is yeah. th- there's a very fascinating rhetorical thing that's happening, Carlos very clearly, like in the especially in the bonus materials, that happens a lot in these sort of situations, which is the sort of call, uh, society in general and the sort of general narrative becomes really, really contradictory in and of itself in order to get all the things it wants across at the same time. To gain all the advantages yeah. of of what it wants, so as far as it's concerned, it needs to first say that Carlos is non ideological. Yeah. Like all the bonus material so far points out that like oh no he's just like in it to kill. He's not. He has no ideal ideological framework, right? Which okay, maybe that's true. Yeah. I don't we, know. We even we even have. Klein literally say Carlos hates Arabs. He thinks he thinks Palestinians are cowardly dogs. Right, which bear in mind right? and, and bear in mind like I those these are the sorts of things I have to take with an enormous grain of salt. Like right. Klein has a bone to pick. He has a he has a grudge. He has a right. he has a, an axe to grind. Uh so does yeah. most of but Western saying, European society in general. Right. Uh, I'm saying it lends, yeah, it know, lends to yeah. what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, that's exactly. That, and that's one that of the reasons the narrative why. I've, yeah. Being, he's, yeah. He's non ideological. He doesn't believe yeah. anything he's doing. He's out there just for blood and money, right? Okay. So that's the first framework yeah. we have to set up. But then we have to continually refer to him as a Marxist terrorist. We have to continually right. then right. also establish that what his ideological framework is 
because you need him to be both, right? In many ways, it is it is a yeah. very adjacent behavior to the my enemies are strong and weak at the same time that you see with fascism and, yeah. and those kind of movements where it's like, I need him to be both. I need to be able to condemn the Marxists. And I also need, need to be able to say mm-hmm. that what he is doing is not ideologically motivated because if I say it's ideologically motivated, then like one might sympathize with those ideologies, right? But right. I also need to be able to condemn the ideologies that are abhorrent to me, that are counter to my right. to my and desires. Honestly, uh, what I got most annoyed about in Maison de France, the feature-length documentary on Disc 4 that I didn't have you watch, is that uh, rhetorically it spends much of its time talking about the single uh, death in the attack on uh, the French embassy in West Berlin in 1983, uh, which was a young man named Michael who was part of a Christian... uh, church-based delegation demanding uh, nuclear disarmament. They were delivering a petition to the ambassador's office. They were getting the runaround in the ambassador's office, had decided they were going to do a sit-in when the bomb went off. Right. Uh, Completely incidental. But what rhetorically most of that documentary does is try, is, is offer biographical information about Michael, including interviews with his loved ones and biographical information about uh, uh, one of the men involved in the attack. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Wyrick is his name. Basically, Michael is a guy who was super into cycling. Something happened that he got uh, disillusioned with cycling and he was looking for something to put his life energy into and decided nuclear disarmament was was where he was going to go. Uh, and he had really admired these people in Paris who were going on a hunger strike, and part of the petition was just to get uh, French media to actually acknowledge the hunger strike, uh, and had become a peace activist, whereas Wyrick had uh, been a young revolutionary in college. He was one of the student activists, and had at some point in college determined that demonstrations were never going to get anything done, that political violence was the only way any any change was going to be made. Uh, and once once he determined that political violence was on the table, he was inevitably down this table, down this route. Now, the documentary also facilitates on where he came up with those ideas, uh, including at one point trying to blame the Black Panthers. Of course. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot in Maison de France that, that I really didn't like. But mostly what I don't like is the actual political motivation for Wyrick, for Carlos, uh, the uh, Palestinian problem. Um is something that I think Michael would have been uh, sympathetic to. There is a there is a world where where Michael, the uh, budding Christian peace activist, ends up like many young Christian peace activists uh, working in Gaza. Uh, you know, the Christian peacemaker right. teams now now known as the community peacemaker teams have had a. Uh, have had a presence in Gaza for decades. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just end up with this sort of like. Right. Well, I mean, but they want to do the rhetorical game that they that always wants to happen in these sort of things. Like this poor innocent boy who was doing it the right way was killed by this evil corrupted boy right. who was doing it the right. wrong way. Right. right. That's this is the right way. This is the right. wrong way. That is. That is that is exactly what that documentary wants to be. Right. And ne- never um, mind the fact that, like, the, bo- the the young idealistic man doing it the right way will discover over very quickly what the man, the the, the angry young right. man doing it the wrong way discovered, which is delivering yeah. letters to ambassadors at, um, at consulates <laughs> will accomplish what? zero. Now, the sit-in... Maybe, what, what but he probably doc- would have gotten arrested for that anyway, right? right? Like that's the thing is like right. doing it the right way will still get you arrested and thrown in jail. Bear in mind, like not right. again. There is these are what, obviously what not- Maison de France. Yeah, Maison de France already admits that Michael uh, recognized that the hunger strikes weren't doing anything. Right. That's why. But but his solution and in that moment was well, we just need to publicize the hunger strikes, but. <laughs> Right, and I'm not like be very clear. But there's I'm only not so many places you can Michael go after that. Will right. turn to yeah. terrorism. I'm not, right, no. but my point is, is no. that like and, delivering and that letters to ambassadors but. does not really result in the res- the, des- the desired outcomes. Is all. Yes, this idea that 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 Michael's path cut short was somehow already at its end is sort of what what this was, what and, is your that, takeaway from it, where right? he was at yeah. was the good place and yeah was the good place and and where he where he should have been and where where real change happens but we all know that that's not where real change happens right. real change happens in action that doesn't need to be political violence it doesn't need it doesn't it need to be, to be blowing action. up buildings let's be very right. clear here but like yeah the right it, it, and, <laughs> yes. and and even i i have to always kind of couch that in the idea that like i'm also not in a position to tell like people who are heavily oppressed how they should enact the changes they want to enact in the world around them so like right i now we can talk about a thing i spent about three hours on yesterday was i i whenever we watch these kind of films i do a thing that is not highly productive to the goals of this podcast which is I decide to do research and make sure, like, are there Marxist ideological frameworks that that are that coincide or or, or that are like truly like like you know what I mean? Like, is this in line with any sort of particular Marxist um, ideological framework? Uh, this the whatever mm-hmm. actions taking place in the in the film or whatever, and. Uh, uh, it's really interesting because I I ended up and it doesn't usually work like in the sense that like I usually end up going down a rabbit hole uh, because that's yeah. what will actually happen is I just like reading stuff about Marxist theory and then I get lost and then before you know it, it's three hours later and I'm like well shit like I didn't solve the question that I wanted to solve and but the problem I I ran into with this is that like because bear in mind that we eventually like find you know as part of the narrative that we get in sort of all the bonus materials and in Carlos's life is so eventually it goes behind uh, the Eastern block, you know, the iron curtain, he goes behind the Eastern block and like works out of various Eastern block countries. Um, yeah. Various Soviet block countries is supported by the Stasi and KGB uh, to do various, to work as a sort of, uh, uh, and again to work, but, but again, the, 
the, all the materials needed to be both ideological and not ideological at the same time. He's supported by the Stasi and by the KGB, but his terrorist attacks are not ideological motivated. They're for money, but also he's a Marxist terror. You know what I mean? Like it, it right. creates a really odd and sort of irreconcilable dichotomy in your mind, right? Like, but presumably, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm never gonna. We're never gonna know the answer to that question. That'll be a question that will, yeah, never be answered. But I have to assume that the the sort of he's not ideological. He's out for the money. Is mostly as a way to prevent people from like yeah. turning him into a, a Marxist martyr or something to that effect, right? Um, maybe he's out for the money. I don't know, but like. It, it feels like one of those things, right, to me. Because, like, again, like, clearly both the Sazi and KGB thought he was a useful tool, if nothing else, right? Um, yeah. But the thing about those things is, like, it really, we're way, way past Stalin, but it really leans into the Stalinist ideas of, like, how Marxist revolution, like, how ca- communist or Marxist revolutions are supposed to take place. Like, they're all directed yeah. towards, like, capital, like, highly industrialized like modern capitalist like countries right like all the attacks are, like blowing up things in germany in france like they're all targeted at i guess what you would call the second world in the sort of yeah. uh the original conception of that and this idea well actually they aren't the second world because the original framework those would be Still part of the first, ah, whatever it doesn't matter. It depends on whether you're talking about Mao's yeah. version or the other version, um, who the second right. world is. But like the point being that like, that, like it's this idea. Like, I always I find fascinating that like, um, it, like blowing up random stuff in capitalist countries will destabilize them enough that they'll just have a Marxist revolution or something. Right. It's always a really weird conception. Like it's where what leans you more towards somebody like Mao or Trotsky, where it's like, yeah, it's not happening in france like they're not going to just like you're not going to blow up enough buildings that they just suddenly it works you know what i mean like resources yeah. better directed at like you know burgeoning movements in like uh you know sort of what we would now call the global south or something like that but i don't know it's just fascinating it's a really weird sort of um i always like end up digging in like okay like i don't know it's it's yeah well, that's and I find this stuff fascinating well, to think about. It, it always sends me off on a tangent that has nothing to do with the movie, basically at all. Yeah. <laughs> sort of, sort of getting getting back to the movie. Then I think it's fascinating the conversation that they have in the restaurant, which is, uh, well, why support the Palestinians instead of supporting uh, South American revolutionaries? And Carlos's response is that the South American revolutionaries are already a proxy war that we need to uh, need to be fighting. Uh, putting resources into places where where the imperialistic forces are being fought directly instead of through through their puppets, right? Um, and he mentions the Viet Cong and and how embarrassing it was uh, to be French or or uh, American. Um, the, how how the Viet Cong just constantly embarrassed the, the right the forces they were fighting against, um, and that's. It's interesting that at no point in that conversation then does it come up because uh, they're having dinner in London, right? Uh, and you know, part of it is meant to be funny that this woman is talking, accuses Carlos of being bourgeois while she's drinking red wine in a fine restaurant in London. 
Um, but also, at no point do either of them say, well, we're not supporting South Americans. We're not really supporting Palestinians directly. What are we doing in France? <laughs> like, right. I mean, that's that's kind of where I was going with that. Is this like this idea that like blowing yeah. up buildings in France is going to directly now? Now, mind yeah. you, it, it it gets a little bit vague, right? Like, if if you can see an argument, right? If if the French are actively sending resources to, uh, like to Israel, and you're trying oh, yeah. to convince them to stop, that the, the Palestinians get a could possibly derive a benefit from like creating that an unte- as an untenable situation right you could create enough like maybe you could argue that you might be able to create enough pressure for them to stop doing that yeah we know that we and know from Francis, evidence that that won't happen um yeah but 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 if you're going to attempt to do that france is probably your best bet because france has a history of being on the edge anyway right so and like so you one could see like but the problem is you it, it, it all depends on how the what the message is, how it's delivered, and a lot of those things are are actually important, right? Because you know we kind of sort of depends on what people's goals are and stuff. And, and, and I don't know, it, the movie kind of paints a picture of like a very instead of like Carlos coming off as non ideological, which is what the sort of source material wants you to believe, right? Carlos comes off as more like confusing ideologically if that makes sense well stepping back from carlos for a second to the film more broadly i think the bravest thing this film does and the most intriguing thing this film does is its opening sequence i think i think starting starting with the murder of mahad bodai yes yeah uh via a massad placed a car bomb outside of his Paris apartment. Uh, He's a guy we don't learn anything about in the film. He's just some guy who wakes up. He's got a pretty wife. Uh, Sure, he picked up a gun, but he goes out to his car and it blows up in the middle of a residential area in Paris. Uh, That is our first terrorist attack. Right, yeah. In the film. Yeah, and and, and sets a groundwork that, like, it does create an interesting paradigm for the audience because that's not really justified by anybody. So you end up in a situation where like, well, right. you know. And it's not done by the bad guys. Right, right. Well, that's part of what we're getting into, which is like the movie doesn't necessarily want you to read. And maybe it's just for expediency of film and making the movie interesting to watch for the audience. Again, Carlos is not the bad guy. In this film, right. at least in the first part, it just right. isn't. And it's he just. It also fair. It is also fair to point out that the movie never actually says that Mossad committed this attack, attack either. Are you a hundred percent sure? It's not something it dwells thought, on. They might have mentioned. I, somebody it. mentions it, but I think they might it's get one it of the. I think it's um, the head of yeah. uh, the PL, like the Palestinian it's, Liberation. It's Front. not something. Yeah. It's not something dwelled on, whatever. Popular Front for the Liberation. Yeah, I can never remember the full name of that Uh, organization. It's just too long for me. It is is one of those things where there are constant jokes about how there's 12 different organizations with varying names, right? Right. Uh, That's, uh, yeah. I mean, at least least it's the the inspiration. And again, we get into this really weird thing because this is also specifically the Marxist one. I don't know. You get, again, in the whole no ideology, but there's an ideology thing. 
yeah its name is particularly and and its penchant for splintering is particularly the inspiration for the uh Judean populist front uh arguments in uh uh the life of Brian so you know right you not being able to remember its yeah. name is not it's not all that surprising um but yeah yeah uh the popular front for the liberation of Palestine is um is the Marxist one you know they are they are even particularly uh oriented against reactionary Islamicism uh you know they uh they want support of the more liberal uh Arab countries but they want to pull the uh more uh right wing more reactionary more uh you know uh <laughs> sultanate uh Arab countries um the ones that have royal families etc they want to pull them to the left as well right, right? yeah uh, but principally in service of a free Palestine. Right. Uh, a free and secular Palestine. Yeah, very specifically, very which is which important. is an important... Right. I, I think it is important to remember yeah. because the, the the conflicts that they come into with the, the, the non-secular organizations that are also sort of right. have the same goals. But... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just the... Opening with Bodai's death and doing nothing to, you know, we don't we don't do a lot to establish sympathy with him, but it's not like, uh, you know, it's not a random act of violence, right? We get enough prior to the explosion that we're not just opening the film with an explosion, right? Like and, no, and the movie no then goes right? on to use that as a like, this is why, like, as a sort of catalyst for like, this is why this stuff is happening, and like, right, where's it? Presumably, and, as we get further and further away from that incident, the movie will sort of be engaged with the idea that 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 is less and less of a relevant inciting incident as we get further and further away. Right. But it is still the yeah. sort of inciting incident. But it's also uh, whether or not it incites anything. It is the reason Carlos is now in charge in Europe. Right. Because Mossad killed this guy. Uh, and within the realm of the film we don't know what kind of guy that guy was right right <laughs> you know uh except that he is a guy that Mossad decided to kill he stands as uh the infinite white uh the infinite white knight to whatever carlos might do right, right. <laughs> because well you killed the old guy so this is what you get i guess but yeah so uh he was a poet and a playwright, turns out, but I don't know much about him besides that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so we start with that, you know, and we get Carlos uh, living life and committing acts of violence every so often, um, messing up early acts of violence. Right, the two the two attacks on the airport are. Uh, are goof ups? Yeah, I mean, certainly, it is right? the closest thing this movie has to com- a comedic break. Is them just like yeah. f- flubbing, blowing up some airplanes? Uh, yeah. Um, his him missing the Japanese guys at the at the French embassy in the Hague, and then having to do other stuff just to feel like he's involved. Also, sort of silly. Well, um, it, it, even, it, even as one of those things, 
uh, uh, does the seem to of, actually of innocent people. It does yeah. does actually seem to yeah. accomplish some of the goals he has in mind, right? Which is like right to make it right. like it's also, not yes. just these people inside of this building. It's yeah, right. There's there's also a great moment at the party before things really go to shit at the party, uh, where the police first come in and Carlos is out of the room, and all of the other random you know students there, uh, the police are like asking them questions and one says we're military re- militant revolutionaries and another just yells you know, non-violent yeah 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 <laughs> real yeah. fast you know there's there's moments of silliness in this and some of that silliness is incredibly dark yeah i mean um, well it, it, blowing blowing up the wrong plane is a very very is dark very moment. dark uh, but, but but still like <laughs> in the context of the film can be it's weird because i don't know if the movie wants you to read it as darkly comedic, but it does come right, off right. Can come off very easily as darkly comedic because, like, again, partially because of the way that the movie ends up framing Carlos, right? Right. You're like, by uh, like, it just we are just used to reading this person as the hero of the story, right? That the way that this is framed, and so you're like, well, like, bearing in mind that, like, again, we film and the and the and the way films work have like warped our brains in any way right because like if james bond shoots three guys like three policemen who have brought a person to finger him in like a building like he's still the hero of james bond yeah. films right like he's still right. the good guy yeah right so like the movie if its goal is to like give us a real like dark gritty account of like Carlos's life that makes you feel like, man, this guy was a dangerous, like evil terrorist. It's not doing that. Like not very well, at least because again, you're like, well, he's the hero and the hero sometimes have to, has to escape from the policeman or trying to catch him. Right. Right. It's also sort of interesting that the way, uh, the terrorist without borders documentary frames that night at the apartment is different than how the movie does. Yes, it. Uh, conflictingly different. Um, where, uh, I mean, their narration doesn't exactly make sense, right? Because uh, they say, you know, they arrived and asked for papers, but then they also seem to suggest that the shooting started as soon as the police knocked on the yeah, door. Yeah. It. Well, to me, the terrorist without borders reads like sort of classic um, bad news reporting. Like oh, sort yeah, of just absolutely. sort of carrying across whatever the sort of like standard line of of argument for right. society is like it's okay. Well, yeah, those terrorists they just they just started blasting away because you also want to be able to vilify all the kids who are in there too, who presumably had no oh, idea. Yeah, yeah, that, of course, no idea that they were hanging out with the guy who was going to murder three policemen, right? Like, right, like, but you also need to make sure they're bad guys too, right? Like, you need to make sure that like they are they're in on it, right? So like. To a certain extent, the narrative needs to be, well, the moment they walk in, they just started blasting away. It's like, well, maybe, but also maybe, you know, like, we don't know, but it doesn't seem like that's necessarily what happened, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, that 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 terrorist, terror without borders or whatever it was called is, 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 is hot trash, like, as far as right. documentaries go. It's yeah. full of, like, weird, like... Like strange little like desires to get across specific messages and stuff. Like it's that's yeah. That was not a very pleasant watch. I also, I, I I will. I'm not gonna lie. I watched right. it on double speed. 
It's like, well, I can read a lot faster than, yeah. I, than they can talk. And I right, don't care right, that right. much about what yeah. like the their emotional content of what they're saying. The client interview also offers uh an interesting I don't know like so much of what we get if we understand like I suggested that Criterion's given us this stuff because it's part of what Asaius has given them as his research. Or something, right? What he based this off of. Um, there's just there's enough creative license sometime where uh, where I don't know. Like he's got to be drawing from somewhere else, right? Like uh, as we move into the final section of the movie and the the uh, the OPEC attack is being planned within the narrative of the film. Uh, there is an OPEC country that is in on the kidnapping who is providing them with material and information and smuggling in weapons for them. And that country is explicitly Iraq. Yes. Explicitly Saddam Hussein. It is. It is this film is now, explicitly made in 2010. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> now, this is, all, this is, of course, very convenient for a Western audience right. in 2010. I, that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas when the interviewer asks Klein what country it was, which he admits that there was a country, uh, Klein refuses to say, and the interviewer suggests that it had to have been Lebanon, says a country beginning with an L perhaps, and Klein makes a joke and says, yeah, it was Liechtenstein." Right, yeah, yeah, it's either, it's, um, yeah, it's Lichtenstein or one which other, is funny. I forget. He's got two, two, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. Like he just uh, and they they from then on just refers to it as like, like as though that is the country. Yeah. yeah, as if it were actually Liechtenstein. He just uses it as the placeholder for the rest of the conversation. Um which is good. Yeah. Uh but but that's a marked difference, right? Yeah, the I mean that's quite possible that like it is known at this point who what country yeah. is responsible for that. I don't know. I don't know enough about that that event. I hardly know anything outside right. of what this movie has presented to me. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and I don't really intend to look it up because I'm we... not that I'm not the sort of person who goes up and goes onto the internet and researches um terrorist attacks. Like it's not a thing I do. Right, right. Uh I will I will yeah, spend hours of, researching of... Marxist ideologies. I will not spend hours reading about terrorist attacks. Sorry. Just not gonna The do amount it. of Googling I have now realized I have done of specific terrorist names. Yeah, I mean in the last twenty four hours. I mean like yours and mine are different for different reasons or are dangerous but for yeah. different reasons. Like I the, right. the watch list we're, we're on both might on lists, be the same, but... might be different watch lists. Because I've yeah. I have literally spent hours and hours just reading like a dumb amount of like, well, I, I need to know if there's any Marxist ideology that supports this behavior. And kind of, right? Sort of. Yeah. There's arguments that have yeah. been made for it. Although I would argue that at this point, you uh, even by the '70s, you should be like, this doesn't this this system of of doing this does not accomplish the goals we want to accomplish. But whatever. Yeah. I would say again. I would argue maybe yes for no. somebody like the actual Palestinians, it accomplishes the goals you want to accomplish. I, Right, but your goals are different than the goals of the of the KGB and the Stasi. You know what I mean? Right. You're trying right, to be right, right, like right. if you're a Palestinian movements, you're trying to get liberation, right? If you're the if you're the KGB and the Stasi, you're in theory trying to foment re- revolution, and that's th- those are not the same goals, right? 
I don't right. know. It, it, sorry. I just keep getting distracted by that idea. It bothered me a lot yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, no, sorry. Right. Go back, back to where we were going. We're all, we're both yeah. on lists. 100%. You are right. The, the Stasi, the KGB, they're in on this because they want to destabilize the West foothold in Palestine, uh, right? in the Middle East. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Particularly Israel. And, 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 you know, whereas, it's, whereas the Palestinians themselves, the Palestinians don't want stability. That's all they want. Right. right? But, you know, I could see like there, there's a logical through line. It's just whether or not that logical through line will ever actually accomplish the goals you're trying to achieve or not. Is, right. Is sort of more the issue. Yeah. That comes up. Yeah. And it also, you know, when when you don't have a choice of allies. Yeah. So you have to storm take that what point, you can right? get. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's also important to point out that part of part of the background material of what what we talk about in this in episode one, um, part of Carlos's first conversation with uh, uh, Hadid, I think it is Hadad. Um, you know, Carlos is one of the fighters for Black September, which is when, uh, you know, Palestinian uh, freedom fighters living in Jordan were attacked by the Jordanian government who finally got tired of them being there basically. So, you know, uh, they don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of reliable allies and, and, allies. and, and, and you I know, yeah. like one of the things that I always want to be sort of careful to do is like, you know, we, we, we talk about the KGB and the Stasi, but it's also supporting, supporting the like, sort of emancipation activities of people in what one could understand as like the uh, the global south now again is the term you know the term of art now or whatever um yeah is in theory a thing that like this the U- the USSR was supposed to have an interest in doing like from an ideological right. perspective anyway it's a sort of the cold war is a very messy gross sort of thing right, right? To, like hard to like kind of pin down and like get a good uh, handle on you know so but yeah again like if, if somebody's going to send you money to like possibly use to try to liberate yourself like you're probably going to say yes right right yeah absolutely but yeah it, it's so yeah, sorry, we got we got way off topic again. I don't remember where we were. That's but. all right. It doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, the movie is uh, surprisingly not complicated, right? No, it, it's not very nuanced um, in general, right? Like it doesn't it doesn't try right. to be nuanced. It doesn't even try to accomplish the goals that we saw in something like Z or The Missing, like where it's like we want to like right. portray the political realities now, of this situation so it's not really it's mostly like an action film like it's mostly yeah like it, it's mostly like an action drama it reminds me of what was the one with the ben Aff- with ben affleck in the in the in the movie production to i forget like what's the name of that movie i i only like vaguely remember argo yeah argo or so. it has the same kind of bent of like well this is just a action like a draw like an action drama basically like right yeah um which strikes me as yeah. an unusual choice for a movie about carlos like 
Yeah. No, the reason I say I that mean, is because it's... again, you've not picked somebody that the that the public writ large identifies as a good guy or a hero. Right. Right. You are talking about a person that the public at large identifies as an enemy, as a as a as a yeah bad person. It's it's fair to point out that something like missing or Z Costa Gavras is politically sympathetic to the people he is telling. The right. Story. Well, and even in right. in, in even in the case of Che with Steven Soderbergh, as we talked about, is at least sympathetic to Che. Or at least sort of on a yes. high, on a sort of like yeah. sort of meta level, sympathetic to Che. Maybe again, right? I think Soderbergh. Yeah. Like, who knows? We talked. We had a lot of conversation about. We don't need to relitigate right. that, but yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, I'm still left. Maybe next week or uh, in two weeks, one of the bonus features with a say us will get uh, something more concrete about his reasons for making the movie. Um. But for now, uh, there are some interesting choices being made that suggest uh, a sympathy to the political causes. Yeah. There are some interesting choices being made that clearly we are setting up uh, Carlos to be the womanizing, preening. Uh, the person that Klein describes. Gunosexual. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that Klein describes. Uh, I mean the 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 sex scene with the grenade uh, is is weird. It's so it's clear, very, yeah. It's meant to. It is so clear that Asaius had the roommate show up because he had no idea how to end that scene any other way than it being interrupted. Right. He's like, "Well, uh, this is because... this is only going one direction." Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm, uh, uh, <laughs> we need a way out of this. I mean, you could do what he did. Every other time, which is just cut and jump like an hour or two hours <laughs> I guess later. That's fair. I mean, to be fair, yeah. like he does that a lot. Like in this film, he he jumps to like, well, this is some indeterminate amount of time later. Like the movie right. is kind of all over the place about that. It has dates in there to like keep you oriented about the day of the month, and and but it doesn't have like, but it's still pretty free form about being like, well, and now it's two days later. Like, we're not going to show you any more of this scene. Now it's two days later. Um, right. Which, like, is fine. It's not, again, but it, 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 again, even the grenade sex scene, if you saw it in, like, a film not about Carlos, that is a sort of thing you yeah. might, or something kind of adjacent to that, you might see in a, like, previous era Bond film or something. like. You know what I mean? Like, again, it's like, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, yeah. it in and of itself, it's not enough. Like people sexualizing weaponry is a common thing, especially in American filmmaking. Uh, right, 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 like, right. Yeah, and and seemingly also in 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 at least French films that are connected to like the sort of general idea of right. like violence and war and spies and stuff. Right, like it's just right, boy. Boy, weapons sure do make great, great metaphors for other things. Um, totes. What? <laughs> Could you I say, said totes. To- uh, I thought um, you said coats. I was like, I don't think that's so. what I was trying to indicate. No. I will be. I'm very interested to see. I I am too. I want to see where it goes. Presumably, uh, I we're going to have a turn. 
We are going to yeah. see Carlos become the man that Klein describes, which is what well, we already have the womanizing part, but like it's going to take a well, he's only out for money. He's non ideological. Like, I won't be terribly surprised, and this is like my prediction if at some point we have Ramirez literally articulate, like, I don't care about the cause anymore, or something to that to, akin to that. Mark my words. Yeah. Because we do at some point in this story need to arrive at that place where he is a non ideological, out for the money, like, mercenary terrorist. Because that's that's essential right. to the, the the general societal narrative here. Like it, it's essential. You cannot do this entire thing without getting there because otherwise that would be the movie at that point would become blatantly sympathetic to Carlos. Yeah. Like we'll probably like I don't know how far the movie's gonna go. I kind of suspect it might just end after the OPEC thing. It might end with him like getting away with the money from OPEC or something like from the OPEC thing. I'm not sure. Like you, maybe is, you do know. It I is don't. My know. understanding, it is my understanding that the movie does still cover his arrest. So we'll see how it so goes. So that's but that that actually it encourages me about my thoughts. Right, they're going to show him yeah. living a hedonistic lifestyle in like Budapest and shit, and like being supported by the Stasi and the KGB. Because we also got to be able to vilify those organizations as well. Like, not that they need any right, help, right, but right. they do. It is it is vital that they be they be vilified uh, in this in this narrative, right? Um, yeah, we'll need to see him fall from whatever sort of position of grace, quote unquote, that he has now, right? Because it's vital to the the way this narrative is going to play out. So, I suspect part one is going to be the last time we see him as a character portrayed that way. We already have seen him like yeah. get fat one time, which is like. The worst thing you can if, do, as far as film audiences are concerned, if uh, if the movie ends, if the movie deals with the end of the OPEC uh, situation, the way Klein suggests that the OPEC situation ended, with Carlos essentially being bought off by the last two countries to have their guys freed, uh. I imagine the rest of the narrative will be his downfall. Right. Uh, yeah. But who knows? <laughs> I, I'm just saying that, like, I, I uh, won't be terribly surprised if we have to have explicit statements by, Ram- right. like, because, the Car- you know, by Ramirez playing Carlos about, like, right. he will need probably almost inherently in the story to renounce his, his ideology or something to that effect. Um, like, verbally almost. Right. And then, like, we'll probably see some real, like, very like oh I'm greedy kind of like that kind of like dark greedy side sort of stuff when like he takes that money and then yeah yeah, yeah. the idea of him actually becoming a stateless terrorist for money uh the villain that inspires every movie terrorist moving forward <laughs> yes yeah yeah uh from from you know the 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 uh, near the near mythical totally stateless terrorist who's just a menace who will work for any like yes every literally like I mean he's not obviously it's not Carlos that inspires yeah. that it is the actual Carlos that right. inspires the narrative of the the stateless ideologicalist terrorist right reminder, right, right, right right yes a thing that right. basically none of us have ever encountered which it, uh, in our lives right 
but but which is also itself a uh, a way of denigrating political ideology, right? To say, uh, well, like Carlos, nobody is really a Marxist terrorist. No one believes in Marxism that much. They're all just secretly doing this for money. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. It, there, it is. It is necessary yeah. to the narrative of modern, you know, sort of capitalist hegemony that like they're all either, they're all either, they're all either doing it for money or are religious nuts. There are only two options. Like right. the one that they've never been able to fully de um, de ideologize is the is the is the um, religious terrorism and partially that might be because the religious terrorism serves a different purpose anyway which is vilifying an entire religion and ethnic group you know what i mean like multiple ethnic groups yeah. and, and and an entire religion you could like well you can create an enemy out of an entire swath of humanity that's a very useful tool in and of itself separately from you need the idea you need the political ideologists to be downplayed to the point where they don't exist and you need the the religious terrorists to be like in like intense boogeymen right so it's just right. I, yeah yeah it, it'll be interesting to see how this the rest of this film these two films play out i suspect i will like part two and part three less mainly because yeah it will get progressively less less and less and less charismatic and i will be like oh this isn't fun to watch anymore uh but we'll right. see. Yeah, we'll see. I'll, we'll see how it goes. I'll, I'm interested. I'll give it a fair shot. Uh, it is. It is an interesting way to go about watching and talking about these movies to do them one at a time. Yeah. Uh, to the point where I suspect by the time we get to the end of the third episode, uh, we will uh, maybe have contextualize everything completely different to how we're talking about it right now. Oh, I'm I'm almost sure of it. And I look forward to I, finding that fun. out. Too. It'll be in, yeah. the, the conversation should be interesting. Yeah. The the actual watching right. may be who knows we'll see I mean the acting Less will so. presumably yes. stay good the acting thus far has been right good but yeah so oh also so, sorry yeah, one thing I I forgot to mention you mentioned like how the the interview with Klein and the inner and the sort of actual playing out of the film differ one of the ones I forgot to mention that I wanted to bring up was um, Klein talks about the night before they do the attack. As like them all working mm-hmm. their asses off to get ready, right? Because like the the guns are all dirty, they didn't oh, arrive yes, yes, on yes, that. Yes. The guns are all still oil, like covered in oil. They need to be clean. They need to be prepped. And then the film, they're just all going to get drunk with a bottle of liquor. Is a right, really right, right. yeah fascinating departure, right, between the sort of narrative we've been given and the film's narrative. And that the guns are uh, not in need of repair whatsoever either. Right, exactly. Uh, it's like well, they're already guess, ready to go because because Saddam himself has has hand delivered these guns or whatever. Uh, no, obviously that's not what. Well, it kind of me, has but, a bit of that uh, feel, right? It shows up on a yeah. airplane in a box that says "Do not open." Exactly what I would write on a box that I yeah. didn't want open. Um, right, right. It's like in English. In English, yeah. It's like ah, this um, isn't suspicious at all. Um, but it's yeah. like oh, like. The movie really, really, really wants you to buy a very specific specific narrative about this that that the yeah. rest of the source materials don't seem to to necessarily corroborate. Um, so yeah, um, 
the last very interesting thing since she came back to the Klein interview, the last very interesting thing I find about the Klein interview is the last of the Klein interview, where the interviewer uh, says to Klein, "You suffer because you feel guilty," and Klein's response is, "I don't feel guilty. I am guilty." Um. It's such an interesting bit of contextualization to everything Klein has set up to that point. Right, right, right. right. Uh, you know, he is he has obviously uh and, you know, you can you can if you want to be very unsympathetic to him, you can say he betrayed his his ideals. If you want to be very sympathetic to you to him, you can say he grew out of this false narrative. Uh yeah, he is guilty, sure. Um but it's interesting that that Klein himself is trying to present himself as someone because as you said, you know, this, this seems to have been shot while he's still on the run. Right. It is but, oh, so that's something we didn't arrested, mention. He's also right? very clearly client is on the run. Still is constructing a narrative that seems to play out later on in his trial. Uh, when he is arrested, right. Is where, where he's relatively where innocent. Like he's, Right. A relative like he's in, a victim. Yeah, he's also a victim of what yeah. has happened here. I mean, he only gets nine years for his participation yeah. in this thing, like this event. Like it's a relatively light sentence, right? He's co- and part of it is he's cooperating with the authorities, right? Like, right. Instead of fourteen, he gets nine because of his cooperation. Like it's very, you can sort of feel, client constructing a narrative. Especially like a narrative, like because they describe it in the in the some of the Wikipedia is like, well, he's captured in Norway or whatever. But one also gets the impression like, yeah, well, maybe there's also this sort of idea in the back of my head where he's well, he's constructing this narrative and trying to build it to the point where well, maybe he doesn't want to spend the final years of his life on the run, right? Like, well, if I can build this right. narrative in such a way that like I can feel kind of assured that like when I am arrested people are at least marginally sympathetic to me and that like I can like maybe not spend the rest of my life in prison or something. Um, I don't know. It, it, that's a very cynical approach to it. Like, but it sort of has a bit of a feel like that. It sort of feels like a preparation for like a s- testimony on a stand in some ways. Right. Especially that yeah. like I don't feel yeah. guilty. I am guilty. Does have a very like, ah, right. this is what we're going to say on the stand in a couple of years when we're arrested. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So call me an unsympathetic uh, person, I guess, but like I'm I am credulous of those kinds of interviews. I've seen those I've seen a lot of politicians in my life give those kind of interviews. Yeah. And we will continue to be credulous about the films themselves as we move forward mm-hmm. too. Uh but yeah, they are it is interesting so far, at least. Yes, it has uh, definitely been an interesting experience. Yeah. Right. So look forward to continuing this next week with Carlos part two and finishing off in three weeks with the final section. So yeah, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. We've been covering Olivier Assayas' Carlos miniseries from 2010, finishing up the rest of it in the next couple of weeks. I'm as always the Adam Glass with me as always John Patrick Ovitari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion with co-hosts Lee Adam Glass and John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. With the collapse of Twitter, who knows what social media we might end up at. How about Blue Sky? That sounds great. Check out the official podcast account at lostincriterion.bsky.social. Jonathan Hape does our music, and you can check out more of his work at jonathan-hape.com or on any music streaming service. And you probably should. He's pretty good. A big thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. You can join their ranks at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. And hey, thank you for listening.